episode 208 of the Bevan James Owl Show, an interview with Mark McLennan. Radio team, welcome along to episode 208 of the Bevan James. I'll show you a fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of exercise so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Where am I at? Where, what, where, where have I got on today's show? Well, today we've got an interview with a man by the name of Mark McLean. Mark McLean is a man who's well-known in Australia. He's a high-performance coach. He's spent over 18 years in the AFL. For those who don't know about the AFL, it's Aussie Rules, which is a very popular sport in the Victorian state, also throughout all of Australia, but particularly in the Victorian state. Uh, he was an, an athlete and has been a high-performance coach. Um, you know, very, very successful. He's an international presenter. Uh, he's... He's just a man. The thing you're going to understand when you're kind of in this interview is that Mark is just someone who spent a life helping people, and it's a real insight. To this. Obviously, he knows his stuff, but you know, I, I think in the interview he says he's in his mid sixties or something like that. Um, there's an insight, isn't there, when you get from someone who's just spent a long time doing something, and this is what I really enjoyed with the interview of Mark. There's just little nuggets of of good advice, but also just this insight that's come from somebody who's lived a life well and has has helped other people and this is one thing I'm really big on is that you know it's one of the things we have to be a little bit careful of today is there's a lot of people out there giving advice and there's nothing wrong with giving advice Jesus you know I I spend a lot of time giving advice but one thing we want to be careful of or one thing we want to understand when we listen to people is um, a do they walk the talk but b have they actually have got evidence of helping people create the change you want to change? Because uh, I just think that it's, it's kind of easy to give advice nowadays. And, and one of the problems we can often get is the person who's just had a change experience themselves and then they think that it, that will work for everybody else. It's that, you know, it's somebody who's just created some change in their own life and they just think that their way is the only way. And it's not to say that they, their way doesn't have value to other people and it can offer ins- often inspire other people. But the people I like to learn from are the ones who have actually helped a lot of people in the situation that I'm in because to help somebody else is a different skill set. And actually in this interview, Mark talks about this, talks about how, uh, you know, when if you are struggling in life, you know, talking to your mate's a good thing, but actually you need to get proper help and you know this it's good you're going to hear this in the interview but i just think this is a really important thing is when it comes to choosing the people who are going to guide you try to choose people who have a, a, a have evidence and have a kind of a, a repertoire of of experience and helping people just like you achieve the, the change that you want to achieve it's a really important thing and and obviously the skills so i'm pretty much going to get straight into the interview with mark today because well, because I've actually, I'm about to go out. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> I've got, uh, my wife and I, we're going to have some friends for dinner. And then we have, what else we got on tonight? We're going to a comedy show. So I've got a very entertaining night tonight. So I'm not going to waffle on about my life right now. I was going to get straight into the interview with Mark. But before I do, I do want to say a big thank you to all of the patrons of the show. These are the people who support the show financially every time I release an episode. And what happens with the patrons is every time I release an episode, uh, they just donate a little bit of their own hard-earned money my way to help support the show. And when you become a patron, you get a cool nickname. And these are some of the people who are patrons. Samantha Magic Johnson. Sam, did you end up running 5Ks? Can you let me know? Samantha Johnson. Uh, Sally Lampiru, who actually did 
end up recently running 5k she's a super trooper well done sally sally had fallen ahead sally's uh was someone who started running with us years ago really lovely lady um and done half marathon started at 5k group done half marathons did really well and then had i think a foot injury or, or an injury that really limited it pulled her out for like a long time and she downloaded my um my 5k dream which is our my online program and she ran 5ks i think last week or the week before so well done uh laura pfeiffer she is a do do a lot because Laura is an absolute beast. She's a doctor. She she does all these ultra marathons. She's just a, a if you want an achiever on your team, you're going to pick Laura. And then we got um, Marie Antoinette, and it's the sound of glory. And then Triple S, the smart smasher, David Samuel. These are all patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron of the show, just go to Bevan James Isles, click on support me, and then within that you're going to see uh, they'll just take you through to Patreon. Uh, you donate as little or as much as you want per episode. It's as simple as that. Anyway, I'm going to put some music on, and here is my interview of Mark McLennan. Right, Tim, I'm, I'm very happy to have you on the show a, a man by the name of Mark McLennan. He is uh, was a bit of an athlete in his time, achieved some pretty high levels in, in AFL, which is Aussie rules is what a lot of people around the world know. But he's gone on to, a, to put a lot of focus into high-performance coaching, both in high-performance athletes, but in everyday life. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bevan. Great to be part of it. Thanks, Matt. Um, so first of all, I suppose, let's start with your athletic career. You know, you, you, you played for a long time in a very hard sport. You spent 18 years in the AFL. Um, can you tell me what that life is like? Sure. Well, look, I was, um, you know, my playing career was a bit shorter. The, the 18 years was a combination of playing and coaching. But, okay. you know, I guess I played for, you know, from the age of about 10, um, you know, through to about 30. And, and you know, my, my entire involvement in the AFL went beyond that. So it was like 20 years total in the AFL. So really when you're in that, um, in that industry, either as a player or as an assistant coach, as I was then, it really, t- it really just dominates your life. I mean, six days a week minimum, you know, six in the morning till, you know, late in the evening, only a couple of weeks off. Um, so it, it's, you really got to be 100% in or you've got to be 100% out. But the people that are involved in that life really want to be there. So it's not like you're, you know, you're counting your 70 or 80 hours a week. It's unfortunately some people doing the job. There's, there's a passion about being sort of involved in that level one way or another. So most people who are there are pretty committed to it. Uh, emotionally, is it a really tough industry? Because, you know, like, you know, I often think for sports stars, and politicians as well. Everything they do is just under the microscope. And, you know, if you don't have a good game, you know, everyone in your, in your area knows about it. Everyone has an opinion on you. You know, whereas most people, if you had, you know, so the whole public watch you do your day's work, you know, we're far from perfect. So what's it like being in the environment with the pressure that you're under? Actually, <laughs> it's probably a little bit contrary to a lot of people think, but it's a bit easy. I think it's a bit easier for the stars, firstly, because the stars are, the people at that really, really high level who may be representing their state in the All-Australian team, they're, you know, I mean, they are really super skilled and they love the pressure. They want the pressure. They want, they want the limelight. So they, they sort of see that as a bit of a, bit of a privilege. Plus, they get paid really well. So they're a bit better fed, uh, set up financially. But 
people who are sort of in and out of the team, struggling for their career, hoping to get another contract for another year or another couple of years, that's where I reckon the pressure is because you've got to be at your best the whole time to just compete at that level. Um, whereas those, those you know, people at the top level of any sport are just so good. I'm not saying it's easy for them, oh, but, yeah. but they're not worried about survival. They're not worried about their next contract. Um, and, and they sort of love what go. They want the ball in the last couple of minutes of the game yeah. to, you know, kick that winning goal. They want to take that Michael Jordan shot. Whereas a lot of other people are just trying to extend their career and have to just do everything right, do everything extra just to sort of be in the team. So I, I admire, you know, I was a bit like that myself when I was playing and I admire people like that who can, who can sustain a career for long periods of time where a lot of people go by the wayside. As, as an athlete, you know, it's interesting, you went on to coaching, so you, I, will, I love to talk about your insight and getting the best out of people, but uh, did you feel you got the best out of yourself as an athlete? And if so, how did you? And if not, maybe where did you go wrong? It's a, it's a good question. Well, the, the shorter answer is, is no, because I just learned so much more like in my, in my 30s and 40s than I knew in my teens and 20s. Like when I was sort of breaking into the, the AFL on those days, so long ago it was called the VFL because most of the teams were in Melbourne. But I was like 18, just starting a uni course. And I, I just wasn't – I just didn't work hard enough. I wasn't anywhere near as dedicated as – as I needed to be, but I didn't realize that. I thought I was, but I didn't realize there were, there were levels beyond what I was doing. And to be honest, that was one of the things that inspired me in my, in my coaching and high performance coaching career is showing people that they're at this level here and they think that's like a really high level of performance or training or preparation or recovery or whatever. And then you show them this level up here. And then they realised that where they were, there are ceilings that they can break through. And I've, you know, found a lot of people when they have that realisation and see other people who are performing at an even higher level, um, that they can sort of exceed their previous expectations. And and probably I was just very, you know, I was immature. Uh, I was probably physically a bit immature. So so I probably didn't get the best out of myself just because I didn't know. And, and I probably, you know, to be honest, didn't have the mentors to show me um, what, what was there because, you know, in those days, if you were sort of one of the more talented kids from your local area and then you would get up into the AFL and you, you just hadn't had that precedent. So what you'd been doing up until that point, you thought that was okay, but there was probably three or four levels above that. And, and I didn't didn't realise that um, you know for, until probably five years later. So it's not a sob story, but it was just oh. a great thing for me to inspire me to show other people that. And I loved showing athletes that you know you can train harder, you can prepare more professionally, you can eat better, and and during a game you can you know you can keep running and you can attack another contest and you can still do it again next week and you can do it six weeks in a row and ten weeks in a row and then you know get five kilos stronger. So um, that's, where, that's where the fun is. But this is a really interesting insight, isn't it? It's because, you know, we, we think about the next levels, but a lot of people maybe don't, you know, we always think, you know, break through the barriers and all the rest of it. But when, you know, you'd got to being a professional athlete. So in some ways you could say, oh, I'm ticking a box. And at that time you didn't actually realise your higher levels. You know, and I imagine a lot of people in life maybe sitting in that place right now where they think, you know, well, I've got a pretty good life. You know, I'm doing all right, you know, but when you can be exposed to that next place, 
and with good mentors, good, you know, people around you can kind of expose you to that. There is, it does open up possibility, doesn't it? Yeah, it applies, applies in all areas of life. It applies in leadership. It applies in productivity. It absolutely applies in, you know, in, in high-level sport. But, um, yeah, self-imposed limitations, because that, that can be because of people's background or because it could be because of peer group. Um, it just be because of the pathway. It's a little bit different now in the AFL sense because they, they, they grab, um, you know, the young talent that's identified much earlier. Some of the clubs have academies. So kids when they're 12 and, and younger get, um, get exposed to that sort of thing, which is a bit of a dual-edged sword, yeah, by the way. Yeah. But, but, you know, the, the sort of era that I was playing, it was really just the, the, the best teenagers from around all of the feeder clubs ended up doing a pre-season and if you made it through pre-season you were you were in so so a lot of um people were sort of relatively unprepared for what was ahead of them so so then you moved into a more of a coaching high performance role um so you started to educate yourself on these things or what was that progression into your understanding of how to get more out of people uh, I did a, I did a human movement degree and and to be honest one of my sort of you know passions has always been a balance to what we're just talking about there. And that balance was with overtraining because when I was playing a lot, a lot of our training was more sort of the, just the brutal, just work harder. Yeah. If you're not bleeding, you're not hurt. And it was quite counterproductive because I, I was, I was tired for five years. I would you know, drag yourself to training. You really look forward to the games, but you were almost wishing for the end of the season. And then, the weekend game and beyond and you'd be sort of dreading all of the stuff you had to do during the, during the week. So um, that, that, that um, led me to sort of look for better ways to, to train. So, you know, the summary is we trained really hard and quite barbarically, but never with real true intensity. We're always tired. So you could never get that real intense, high quality training and we never had the proper recovery. So, when I went into that coaching and conditioning role, then my own experience as a player and my, my knowledge doing my human movement degree led me to sort of start to write and research uh, and find people who had some, um, some expertise in the whole area of periodization and recovery and, and training athletes according to different uh, somatotypes and so on. So that was really my, you know, my, my, my passion. And when I started uh, working as an assistant coach at Collingwood, one of the AFL clubs, we really tried to increase the intensity of training. So really high level of training, but really drop down the duration of training and the regularity of training. So we, we mapped out, you know, what probably one of the first professional training programs mapped it out over the course of the whole season into the preseason with periodization, different loading periods and so on. Um, and that was just really exciting to be part of. And, and, you know, I think it's fair to say we've got some benefits out of doing that. And, and did, did you find resistance? Because you can often find it's, there's a shift in a way of thinking. There's the old, well, you know, this is how we used to do it, you know, and, you know, like, did you find resistance when you were kind of coming in with these new ideas? Um, not from the players, because any athlete is going to love to get out there, do their thing in the most efficient thing they can do, and then get off and, and recover. So, the athletes, the players loved it. So, for example, in the sort of the, the AFL training model during a training session, you would do a drill and often you would come back in and the coach would talk about what they wanted to happen next and you do another drill. But 
what that created was too much rest between the drills. So what we did, for example, would be we'd map out the entire session before everyone started. And when one drill finished, the next one would start straight away. So there was just really high intensity. It was just go, go, go. And you would pre-brief the session beforehand and debrief the session afterwards. And then they'd either go and get to do their massage or recovery or weight training, depending on what the schedule was. So the players loved it. The players loved it. The coaches, some of the other coaches, had a little bit more resistance. But once you start- Mate, sorry, you're, just, you're, you're touching something that's in your mic. Sorry, just so. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, that was. That's all right. You can go. Yep. Um, so the players, no resistance at all because they love to train with intensity and then get off and start their recovery. Um, some, of the, some of the coaches were a little bit more reluctant because they, um, they, they wanted their time with the players. So we structured it so that there were specific times for, for pre brief, for debrief, for. Um, skills training, um, and for all of the sort of cultural stuff as well. When it comes to working in a high-performance environment like that, when you get people who are struggling, how do you bring the best out of people? Um, that you, could talk for, you could talk for hours on that aspect alone because high-performance sport has been riddled with people who've had emotional and mental health issues because mm-hmm. of the demands that you were talking about before not so much the, 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 the elite of the elite, but more of the mainstream. Uh, and what you said is true about every, people know you, so people talk to you in the street, they know if you've missed a goal or if you're out of form or whatever, and it becomes really tied up with people's identity and their, and their self-esteem. So um, a lot of the clubs now have sports sites, a lot of them have chaplains, a lot of them have um, sort of holistic policies and and enforced layoff periods and so on, which is part of the collective bargaining agreement with the players. So it's a lot more structured in that way now. And a lot of the clubs, even though players are essentially full-time and have been for a long time, a lot of the clubs encourage the players to either study or even um, do a bit of community work or have a part-time job. So there's something separate to that, which really helps their... um, their holistic well-being, I think. So it's a really important aspect, but um, it's still an issue with, you know, in, in, in my experience with young men in sort of in, in, in the, the men's footy, there's still a lot of young men who, who do have issues with their identity and their mental health. So it's something to, that, you know, does, uh, is getting further resources, but it's something much more on the radar of, of, of clubs now. What was the responsibility of club there? Because, because you know, the club's, a professional organisation, they want to win, they want to make money, it's, 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 you know, they need to make profit. Um, what's the responsibility do you think the club should have with that? And we're gonna, you know, what, what should be their role? Um, much greater. The clubs are fantastic now, haven't been so much over history, but the clubs want young men to come into their system and whether they're in the system for a year or 10 years, they want them to go out as a better person. A lot of the clubs are really big on that now. So I do think the club as an employer has, has a key responsibility to provide a safe working environment and to help people in skills and other areas of their lives. So I, I think they have an overarching crucial responsibility with that because the reality is you as a player, you might get cut at the end of the year or you might get traded at the end of the year. You can be in a totally different environment. And that's a really big, really big change to your life. So 
the clubs have big responsibilities. They now have outreach programs and they have sort of return to work programs for people to get back into industry and different life. So um, the support is there now. Um, and, and I think, you know, younger people are much more open to having that support. So I'd say we're now a seven out of 10, 10 years ago, we were a four out of 10 and five years before that we were a one out of 10. So we're definitely trending in the right direction. I'm, I'm fascinated in your insight, you know, because you've worked with, a, a, you know, you work with these young men, you know, and, and obviously they become men and, and maybe more wise men at the end of their career. But, um, you know, one thing I, 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 my story is a good story because I was a bit of a drop kick and I turned my life around. And one thing I get a lot in life is parents coming up to me because they saw that I had that transformation at around, 1920 um and one thing i seem to hear is that a lot of young men are struggling and parents will come to me because i'm they see that i got through it and they'll look for my support through that um and i'm kind of speaking more outside of the kind of athlete athletic kind of context here you know just it's one thing we seem to be finding in, in the world right now is that a lot of young adult men you know think kind of like 16 through to the early 20s just struggling. Um, what are your thoughts on this? And what would be some advice that you would give to help these young men navigate that time in a more wise way? Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, good question. I agree. It's, uh, I've got uh, two sons who are in their 20s and they're both going really, really fantastic. But I know from some of their peers and friends that it's not an easy transition. I think the first thing, I think the, f- the first thing is social media. Uh, I think social media is a comparison game. Yeah. So, if you compare yourself, you're never going to have the best podcast in the world or the best you know, conditioning and life coach in the world or the best guitarist in the world, whatever. If you, you're comparing yourself with everybody on the planet, so you're never going to win that game. So I think the first thing is to just see that for what it is. It's great to connect with people, but don't, don't, compare, don't compare yourself. Do, don't compare yourself to others too much because you're, you're never going to win that game and it's not, a, it's not about that. But a lot of younger men and women, I think, are very, very, very much into comparing themselves and wanting to be better than someone else or the same or improve that. So social media is great for connection but not for comparison. I think the, the second thing is to find some personal mantras. And I think that applies whether you're 14 or whether you're 44 or whether you're 84. And they might be quotes or cliches or words, uh, just very simple things that it's almost like your, your daily intention. I'm a big believer in setting a daily intention. I try to do some sort of exercise early in the day and then set the intention for the day. And it can be simple things like being happy and grateful or being strong and resilient or whatever you might want it to be. Um, it's just very, very simple things. Um, you know, taking the joy in the day and looking for the good things and being grateful for people in your lives and, and all that sort of stuff, which sounds a bit cliche, but it's about bringing you back to what's important, what you've got, what you want to do today. Because um, I think a lot of younger people put too much pressure on themselves and they look too far ahead and they want, whether it's the house or whether it's the career or the boyfriend or the girlfriend or the car, whatever it might be, too much focus on the goal and not enough on, on the actual day. So I think a shorter term focus, just trying to live well today. That's, that's my mantra, live today well. If you live today well, then the tomorrows will sort of look after themselves. Um, 
So rather than sort of worry so much about your career and then look at where you are in your career and then look at someone on social media with a million followers or millions of dollars in the bank, whatever it is, and think, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not worthy. But if you come back to some sort of a mantra, um, like my, I have a mantra called hogs, which is you know, not so great, but hogs is happy, optimistic, grateful and strong. So yeah. I might just try to be that today. I'm trying to be happy today as much as I can. I'm trying to be optimistic about the future, I'm trying to be grateful for the weather or my clothes or the food or my friends. And I want to be strong because I think being, you know, being strong, physically strong and emotionally strong. And if you do that enough days, then the rest will look after itself. So uh, it's a really, you know, it's a passion thing for me to see young people who are struggling and, um, you know, I think the more we can get them to take a shorter-term focus, don't compare themselves so much, and connect with some words or some pre- previous wisdoms, there's a great thing called the Optimist Creed that you can, anybody can look up. It's on the internet and it's being too large for worry, too noble for anger, too, too strong for fear. So they're great phrases. So I have lots of phrases like that and I just... So I pick one of those each day and that's what I want to be today. And if I can do that, then hopefully the people around me will uh, benefit from that as well. Yeah, I love it. Uh, one thing I will add is what, that we probably do want to teach our young men is healthy ways to deal with emotion as well. Um, because I think, unfortunately for a lot of young men, how they deal with emotion creates a worse life, like, you know, drug use, alcohol, disconnection, you know, those things. And I think that as, as men in kids' lives – to actually say, oh, when I struggle, actually what I do is I go for a run or I go and I talk to a mate and it's kind of role modelling that aspect of it as well, eh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, I agree with what you say um, with with one caution there because some people who, who express their emotions and if they are really struggling and they just express it, express it, express it, express it, express it and they get... They get caught. It's actually called cognitive fusion where your, your thoughts become so pervading, you know, whether it's I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, or I'm not attractive, whatever it might be, and they can't get past that. So I think talking about it is really important and having support, but I think it needs to be like the right sort of support because, you know, the are you okay thing. So if somebody says at work, are you okay? And the person will actually, no, I'm really struggling. Well, what does the first person do there? They're, you know, if they're not trained in that, they're not skilled yeah. in that, oh, geez, that's no good. What, what do we do from here? So I think it's about showing that support. But if you, if you either you're struggling yourself or if you know someone who is struggling, it's all about them getting, getting some help because that cognitive fusion thing where you just get, wrapped up in your thoughts so much there's strategies to to beat that's called defusion getting past those things and you really need like a little bit of professional help which is great some sort of counseling or talk to a psych or or more if you need it but the the support and the strategies are there but i think it's about you know if you if you need to get your your gutters fixed you 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 know you don't get um a fitness coach to fix your gut fix your gutter you get a specialist you get a plumber to fix your gutter and i think the same happens when people have emotional well-being um resilience issues get you know get some professional help and i love what you say there because you know like there is that thing nowadays isn't it we kind of get told these messages to open up to people but the people don't necessarily have the skills to be actually able to help you and if your friend does open up to you i suppose what you're really saying is um and you know you don't have those skills and you know your job is to encourage them towards the right type of person yeah exactly and it's a pretty heavy story but i've, I've had a friend who unfortunately 
um, ended his own life. Oh, really? And um, he would speak about, he was quite a well-known guy, and he would, he would speak about his struggles. Um, he actually had, a, 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 essentially had um, a brain injury from too many knocks playing, oh, playing wow. AFL. Um, it was just really tough. But for him, I think it was like ripping the scab off all the time. He just kept exposing it. But unfortunately, he, he wasn't getting um, the help. He was for a while and he was going great and he stopped getting that help and he regressed without people sort of knowing so much. So, yeah, no shame, no stigma. Lots of people, lots and lots of people do it. And so, um, you know, it's, it's just for me, it's a no brainer for anyone who's struggling or if you've got friends that are struggling. Just get them in that right, encourage them to get that right help. Yeah. You, you talk about the high, the four howls of high performance teams and embracing change. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, look, change is really uh, difficult for, for people. Yeah. And there's a thing called a change continuum, which basically works its way through, through, through four points. And the first one for a lot of people is denial. And the second one is resistance. And that's why I try to, coach people to get through quickly. So denial is like the Titanic can't sink and resistance is it's not fair that it's sinking because I'm going to stay here. (laughs) And apparently when the Titanic was uh, sinking, there were um, people at the time, survivors at the time, said they were still sipping champagne in a piano bar in their evening gear while they're about to hit, you know, they'd hit this iceberg. Couldn't believe it. We're told we just, and, and people do that, I think, with change, whether it's a new IT platform at work or, a relationship change or, you know, changing where you live or trying to change your life habits, whether it's your, uh, as a, you know, a, 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 a person just living the best life they can or as an athlete change, you know, it's really underestimated how, how difficult a lot of change is for a lot of people. Um, so the first, you know, denial, this can't be happening. Resistance, it's not fair. If you find mm-hmm. yourself in that, in those modes, you've got to get past that as quickly as you possibly can. And where you should start, in my opinion, is exploring. And exploring is, back on the Titanic, is checking where the lifeboats are just in case. <laughs> yeah. So you research it, you talk to people, you study, you try something out, you investigate, you, 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 know, you eat something different, you'll do a different, you might stretch before you run, you'll you try some swimming, you might try some cold water immersion, whatever it might be, and you just explore. And then the, then the fourth one is action. And where a lot of people, I think, go wrong is instead of going denial, resistance, explore, and action, what they'll do is denial, resistance, denial, resistance, uh, denial, resistance, okay. and then they go to action. So they don't, you know, exploring is where you find out what works for you. Yeah. Exploring is where you read the book, join the club, get the lessons, try something out. That's not going to work for me uh, as opposed to just copying someone else. Like that self-exploration part. If you can get into that mode, that's a great place to be because change will still be hard, but that's where you start to find the advantages, the opportunities, the joys, the benefits of it. And then you can sort of do the action as opposed to making a premature commitment. Right, this is what I'm going to do from here on in. Yeah. And you haven't been through that exploration stage, so it doesn't work so well. What was stage, stage one and two was denial and... Resistance. So, so how, how do people move through that? You know, like, because if, you, if you're listening to this right now and you're in that place where you, you're kind of identifying what you're talking about here, what, what are the techniques that you find helps people move through? Is it just the awareness of the process or is there more that helps? Yeah, no, uh, um, awareness is absolutely the number one. And then within awareness, it's like being aware of your thoughts 
and being aware of your of your words. So catching yourself when you're saying, oh, this new marketing plan, this new IT thing, this new training system, and you catch yourself going, oh, hang on, I'm resisting there. Or even catching yourself in your thoughts and sort of self-correcting your thoughts and trying to find um, a, a better thought or a better word, things like, well, Let's see what's possible with this. Let's let's give this a try. Let's um let's explore. Let's try this first part. So it, I think it's catching and correcting yourself when you have those those negative, those resisting type thoughts and those resisting type words, and then try to um, replace those thoughts and words with a future action. All right, I'm going to eat this new thing for breakfast tomorrow. Or I'm going to go to the store on Thursday, so I'm going to make up this new vegan dish on Saturday. So you always have just have your next action. You don't have to go right to the right to the end. You just got to have your next action, and that next action should be an exploring action, not a resisting action or a denial action. Nice. So ultimately, we want to catch those triggers that are telling us that we are denying and yeah. feeling resistance, and you know, use that as a beacon to go towards the next action, which is just the, again, it's just that exploration. It's just hey, you're just going to try this thing. There's no, there's no kind of commitment that's going to come with this, but it's just opening the door to that other way. Yeah, it's like you ever get the software update on your phone, and yeah. and you go, oh, not now, maybe later tonight, yeah. tonight, and you keep putting it off and off, and then so that's resistance because you're busy and there's other things that are taking priority then exploring is right. Um, tomorrow morning, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to update that software because otherwise we don't update the software until whatever function we want to use won't work until we do the update. So we don't take the action until we're forced to, whereas this way it's about taking the action yourself. And it's absolutely simple things like that. I'm setting the alarm tomorrow and I'm getting up half an hour earlier. I'm not going to eat any biscuits or cakes until lunchtime tomorrow. You know what, whatever it might be, it's a simple actions that have, that have the most impact. You say you have young two adult um, sons, I may, maybe other kids as well. I'm kind of curious. What do you feel are the keys to being a good parent? And don't get me wrong, I know parenting. We all look back and we go, "Shit, I could have done so much differently." But what, what do you feel uh, for for parents out there are, are some of the keys to being successful yeah. as a parent? Oh, well, I'm, I'm not even going to try to be modest here because I just am so proud of my sons. Yep. They're both um, having living great lives, got great partners, uh, very successful businesses. Um, so, you know, I'll give a lot of credit to their, to their mum for, for, for that. But um, for, the first thing is, is, is absolutely time. And one of the things I'm proudest of is, when they were teenagers, I actually stopped doing my AFL coaching in order so I could spend more time with them, be around for junior sport, be around. Because I, I used to have a really busy life and I was all over the place. And I made the priority to, to make sure that I was there. And one of my sayings is time spent with your kids is never wasted regardless of how old they are. So, so it's absolutely about time. It's absolutely, you know, having that, I don't believe in quality time. I believe in quantity time. So I feel like as a father, I had quantity time. And, and you know, boys need their mum and their dad and um, girls need their mum and their dad, but boys need their dad. Boys, you spend your life as a son trying to make your father proud of you, regardless of what you think or whether you're estranged or you don't even know who your father was. You see these people have this need to connect. And I, I, look, I've, I definitely had it with my father and I see my boys have it with me. So... I try routinely to tell them how much I love them and how proud of it I, I am of them. 
So I think the second thing is that unconditional love, just having that mm-hmm. unconditional love. And, and even if you're, you're trying to discipline them when they're teenagers or they go off the rails a little bit or they're not doing what you want them to do, is you've got to be there and you've got to be strong. But underneath that strength, that foundation is the unconditional love. You're never going to give up on them. You're, never, you're always going to love them. You're always proud of them for who they are. Uh, and then you're trying to sort of move them along the way. So, look, I'm not, not a, a parenting expert, but I, mm. I'd say time is the first thing and unconditional love um, is the second one. And not that I've ever been disappointed in my, my kids, but even if I was disappointed in them, I'd try to hide that and, and keep them positive and moving, moving forward. I'll be honest with them, but I'd always have that fundamental that they are my number one priority and what's going to be there for them um, and whatever they want to do, they can have a crack at. And I suppose the third thing I just thought of then, both, both my sons are entrepreneurs and my own father used to say the most secure business you can have, the most secure job you can ever have is to run your own business. So I will always tell them in, in a sporting career or a business career, I will always tell them to go for it. And, I'll, and I give that advice to everybody. People say, should I stick with my safe job or should I try a new business? Should I try to get into a high level of sport? I'm always, always, always going to say, go for Thanks it. Self. Regret the things in life you don't do rather than the things you do. Um, you, you, um, how old are you, Mark? Just uh, if you don't I'm, mind. I'm uh, 63. How old? 63. So, so I'm really fascinated because you've been an athlete, you know, and so how does health change as you age? And maybe what are some of the great things about health as you age? And maybe what are some of the things that you've found are a struggle? Um, I, I think the whole- You look like a healthy man, so obviously you still care yeah. about your health. Yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very, very lucky and I, you're right, I do care about the health. I think it's, it, the whole aging thing is overrated. Um, I think people use it as an excuse to just pack yeah. up their tent way too early. Like as soon as we- we, um, I, you, you listen, not be able to see that, but that's some um, oh, yes, water beautiful. out there. And as soon as we, um, as soon as we finish, I'm actually going surfing. So, you know, I love to be able to go, go for a surf. Um, you've got to stay strong. You have to stay strong. So I think for my own, this is my personal opinion. As you get older, your cardio still has to be there, but your cardio is sort of less important because even if, you, if your cardio is, is great, you don't really want to push yourself to go for a 10K run and try to run it in 40 or 45 minutes. You don't really want to do that anymore. It's counterproductive. You're just going to get sore in your joints and so on. So I still, like I jog um, uh, and I paddle, but strength and stretch. I think as you get older, strength and stretch, you've got to stay strong. You know, we lose strength as we, as we age, but... I go to a fantastic um, gym chain called Kiza, who are just actually going into NZ at the moment, but it's fantastic yes. equipment. I go there sort of three times a week. It's just keeping strong is just so crucial, but also stretching because you tend to get less supple as you, as you go. It's really important just to do your 15 minutes of stretching as many days as you can because that's – that keeps your mobility and mobility is the key to all movement to simple things to be able to you know, lean around in your car to pick something off the back seat to, to be able to lean over and not hurt your back to be able to you know, go surfing or play tennis or whatever you might want to do. So, so I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people get injuries and that's, and that's cool, you know, and they, they do get restrictions, but you know, like I played 200 games a senior yeah. in your yeah. football contact Hard sport. sport. Yeah. Um, I can still play tennis, play golf, I can run, uh, do all those sorts of things, paddle. So um, I'd say, 
strength work, your stretching and a bit of positive attitude goes a long way to keep you enjoying, enjoying your active life. One thing I noticed as well is, and I think this is really important because I think what a lot of people do is attach, as you, I think you've identified this earlier, is that people attach age as an excuse. Like one thing I find is that um, well, I've got a running business and we coach people and you find that once people get to a certain age, their injuries is because of age. And uh, like I've been an athlete my whole life. Um, injury is a part of movement, <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to move at times you're going to get injured. But what happens is you tend to find that once people hit a certain age, it's I'm getting injured because I'm old. And it's, and, and sometimes these people aren't even that old and it's like, it's not actually true. It's just something's gone wrong. You can fix it. And maybe there, eventually there will be injuries that are, or, or limits because of age, but you've just got to be careful of not to attach age to, to, to moments in your life. Don't you? I agree. You know, I agree hundred percent. You have to be smarter and, Things like that. Like I don't wrestle so much with my sons anymore because <laughs> you, you know, you're, gonna, you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna get hurt. They they definitely take it easy on, on me now. So you just, you know, you've got to be smart, and you'll get you get limitations, which is natural if you've had an active life and potentially in your joints and so on. But you know, there's so many good coaches like such as yourself around now that you can work around most things. It's not yeah. an excuse to stop. You just have to look at what caused the injury, look for an alternative do your recovery and do your rehab right. And then, you know, just pick it up and away you go again. What's the best thing about aging? Um, which certainly is, um, I think you have, you certainly, I, I now have a bit more time. I still work and I love my work, but I don't have the commitment in terms of hours that I used to have. So that's, that's fantastic. And I think if you are, if you if you're watching as you go through your life, you do you do get a bit of wisdom, and I think that's just because you've had more time to meet people and be aware and read things. So I think you get um, you know p- potentially you get a bit a bit better or broader perspective in life. I think that's that's a great thing. Um, later this year, I'll have my first grandchild, so I'm sure that's going to be uh, uh, going to be a fantastic thing as well. Um, there's a thing in Buddhism called leisure and fortune. And what that means is if you're fortunate enough to have more time and you're fortunate enough to fortune doesn't mean you're in the rich 100 fortune yeah. just means you're, you know, financially stable. Yeah. If you're for, if you have that, um, that leisure, the fortune and leisure, um, then the Buddhism thing is you've got to enjoy it. You've got to try to enjoy it. And that's probably one of the great things about aging is I do have some contemporaries who are, you know, they're cashed up enough to have a bit more time, but their self-esteem is so tied up mm-hmm. in their business or their role in life that they can't sort of get away from that. So yeah. I, my, my philosophy is cause connection and care. So you still got to have something to be passionate about. It can be work. It can be community. It can be the environment, whatever. Um, connection is with people and nature and care is about self-care. So as long as you can tick those three, then, um, then I think you're in a very fortunate sort of life position. What would you say your cause is? Uh, my cause is to help people. So I do that still sort of commercially sometimes through my, through my conference work and my, and my coaching work. Um, so I still do that. Uh, I try to do that with less sort of face-to-face time but to a broad audience. So that's the way I, so that's my cause. Yeah. Um, and the connection is to with family and friends and associates, but also with nature. And I, I sort of, I love the ocean. So connecting that way and care is sort of through all the, you know, the personal habits of training and recovery and sleep and nutrition that I do to, to, to look after that one. 
A question I always love to ask people, you know, because you're someone who's in a fortunate position to help others. Um, uh, what, what are the things you struggle with? Because often, you know, when you are in that position, people can look at you from the outside and think you've got it all together. And, and no one's perfect in one of our struggles. What are, the, what are the areas that you struggle with that you still have to kind of work on to keep on top of? Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm a very content uh, person, but it's the, probably the draw of getting dragged back into more, into more work. So that the, the um, when I said that cause connection to care, it's a bit like a triangle. And I think when you're out of whack, it's usually one of those three things. So probably the hardest thing for me is not to be drawn too much into the cause one. So either the connection or the care ones get a bit neglected. So that would be um, the biggest probably challenge, I, I guess, for me um, at the moment, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, I think if your family's happy and I'm very fortunate the family's all happy and healthy, then the rest of the rest, just a little bit of cheese on the top. So, yeah. so um, you know, I, I guess it's that it's all, you know, you always feel like you could achieve a bit more, I suppose, but I think that's part of the Buddhism thing to be aware of that and not keep forcing yourself to that and understand that that's like a little bit of male ego that you're trying to control. Um, you know, other than that, I'm super, super happy. Just hoping the waves are up and everything else is good. I just think there's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because one thing I often think about, and, I, and I talk, I've talked about this on this podcast in the past, but it's this um, healthy people who have an unhealthy mindset. And what I mean by that is this um, people who are, you know, they're moving, they've got a, you know, 80% great diet, you know, they're, they're, they're healthy people, but they're worried about what, you know, they're worried that they're not healthy enough. And to me, the the worry is the unhealthy thing because actually these people shouldn't even be worried at all because they've got it right. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, and it's that thing of, as you kind of identified there, is just that understanding that I'm doing well. And, and, and I, you know, sure, we always want to progress and see progress in life, but I shouldn't be disappointed with the now in regards to where I am in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I've had I've had that conversation with clients a hundred, if not a thousand times. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Where people are just doing things so well, and I sort of I'm not a Buddhist, but I I just yeah. like Buddhism. I like some of the concepts in Buddhism, and um, and I, I went to a Buddhist teacher one time, and they the first thing they said to the audience was, "Life shit, then you die." So don't worry about it. That was the opening. <laughs> So, so what they basically mean by that, the Buddhists believe that the, 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 the default human state is slight dissatisfaction. Okay. And I think that's pretty true. And it, your, your, your example is really, really a good one where so many people do so much right. There's so much right, but they, I call it not taking yes for an answer. So they'll, they, they're just not accepting the good things they've got. I remember having a conversation with a a young mum who was working 10, she was a single mum, she was working 12 hours a day, she was getting up at six, doing the kids' lunches, going to training, and she had like one extra kilo that she wanted to get rid of. She said, well, should I get up at four and do it? And she just wouldn't take yes for an answer. So what she, the only thing she needed to reset was her mindset. Yeah. So we know what happens when people win the lottery, they feel happy for about a month and they go back to being exactly the same level of slight dissatisfaction they used to have. Yeah. So the Buddhist thing is, as soon as you accept that the human condition is slight dissatisfaction, then you don't actually feel that dissatisfied anymore. <laughs> so, so I think it's finding a way to, to loosen up and let yourself off the hook. And, I, and I, I know so many people who are in exactly in that same situation and um, they've got so much good. Uh, like, like I, I work as a presenter, I work at conferences. Yep. I've got a really close friend and we, we did this presentation for a hundred people 
and he got 97 pieces of fantastic th- feedback and three pieces of sort of questionable feedback. And he's gone, of course, straight to the three. Oh, what didn't yeah. they like? Instead of focusing on the 97, he's focusing on the three. Yeah. So I think if you understand that that's human nature, then it, it, it does take time. But if people can sort of overcome that, that mindset, it can be one of the most liberating things they'll ever do in life. Yeah, totally. Because it is, the, and I do think you do want to make that. If you are someone who's listening to this and identifies with this, as as have, having that kind of a conscious tools to help you catch that. You know, it might be that you set some alarms on your phone, and when they go off, you've got to find something that's good in, in this moment. You know, it's just those little tricks that can help you. Yeah. You know, instead of in a bad moment, because it, it, it is all perspective, isn't it? Like I, I sometimes coach. And, and I, like I coach at six in the morning in the dark and, you know, and, and in winter it can be pouring with rain and it's like, how cool is it? How lucky am I to be over in bed right now? And I've got this, you know, this kind of amazing moment in the day. And, and you could look at it and go, well, this sucks. You know, and it, it, they're bringing the right perspective is so important, isn't it? Yeah. I use a thing called catch and correct and catch and correct starts with posture. So I often uh, do it myself and encourage people to either, if you, if you happen to be able to see your reflection in a window or a mirror, How's your posture? Oh, I'm slouching, straighten up. Or you might just walking along or sitting at your computer and, oh, I'm leaning over the keys, straighten up, catch and correct. And you catch and correct with the self-talk as we were talking about before, yeah. but also with those attitudinal things. So, you know, like, as you said, oh, it's gonna, I've got six meetings, it's going to be a long day, I can't wait till the end of the day. You know, and if you, if you catch that, because a lot of times people, they're not even aware that that's yeah. what they're feeding themselves. Yeah. And as soon as you catch it or, and then correct, it just means, what, what can I replace that with? So, you know, I'm happy to be here or at the end of the day, how good is dinner going to taste tonight after I get through this day? And maybe you might learn something. So I think that, you know, that catch and correct is another one of those sort of mantras that can help people just, just realize what they're feeding themselves, whether it's self-talk or, or food or posture. Uh, just, just if someone's thinking about changing, what would be your your last piece of advice to someone who's kind of in that place where they're sitting on the fence of some change? What would you, what would be that kind of one piece of wisdom to leave this on? Um, well, firstly, it is possible because some people say that they don't see much change. Wow, I've seen people revolutionise. I used to run corporate gyms, and I've seen people go from not being able to run a step to running iron. Men. absolute true story within within five years i'm sure you've seen that in your yeah, in your yeah. coaching business i've seen people languishing their career ending up running the companies i'll give you hundreds of examples so i think the first thing is, is change impossible yeah. excuse me change is possible and the second thing is when i link back before to that it's been with exploring with change that third yeah. part of change is just do it's just what do i do now what's next what do i do now what's my next thing just to you know, break it down into what's the next thing to improve, um, whatever it is you're trying to improve. So there's another one of those sayings: the pig gets no fatter just because you weigh it. It's an old farming thing. So you want you want the pig to get this high weight, keep weighing it, weighing it, weighing it, but you're not feeding it. So yeah, yeah. it's great to have the goal, but what's the next step? What's the immediate step? Even if you don't even sort of know exactly what that goal is going to be. Just what's the next positive step in training, nutrition, in mindset, um, in skill, in, in learning, in leadership, whatever. I think um, that's the way to go. Uh, people want to follow you. Do, do you, are you, I don't know, I don't know do you, where do people go to get in contact with you or to follow your work? Uh, just, just my website, uh, markmckeon.com or I'm on um, LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn and Instagram. You'll just find me by my name and I do a thing called uh, – 
uh, MM's Monday motto. So Mark McKeon's Monday motto, which is just a two-line little thing that usually rhymes, which is something like sweat beats regret or you've got to do the toil before you get the spoil or just little things like that. So I just try to connect and make a contribution by doing those once a week. I love speaking to you, mate. I love you're you're a man who's you know you talk about your kind of what was it was it was curing was it was curing yeah cause connection and care cause connection and care and you talk about your cause being helping people and you can see that you've been someone who's spent a lifetime doing that and obviously had a pretty big impact on your world. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been great having you on the show. Thanks, Bevan. All the best, everyone. Right, so there's my interview of Mark. I'll put a link to his website on the show notes at Bevan James Isles. That's Mark McLennan, um, M-C-K-E-O-N.com. Uh, and you can check out his work there. He does a lot of public speaking. And, and in this virtual world we live in, he also does virtual workshops as well. So you can check him out there. As I was saying before I put the interview on, I really enjoyed speaking to Mark because he was just a man who has that insight from experience, has his knowledge as well, but also has a lot of insight from experience. And um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a really good chat, so very good. Um, I'm going to pretty much wrap up the show right now because as I was saying, I've, I did actually did the interview a few days ago, so, so, so I'm now about to go out for this dinner and party, well not party, I've got a dinner. I'm actually going out for one of the patrons of the show, Anna Duet Dungy, uh, it's her birthday, so I'm just going to pop in there quickly and then we're going to head out for this comedy show, so it should be a good night for some friends. Anyway, we're going to wrap up, so if you, are a, if you aren't a patron of the show, you want to become a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesisles.com. Also, if you haven't already, go on your podcatcher and just put a review, a fitness review or a review up about the podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it'd be really nice to help spread the word. For some reason, that gets you more attention within podcatchers. And any other way you can spread the, sh- the word about the show. Uh, one thing I do do is each time I release a show nowadays, I'm just putting a quick clip on either Instagram or Facebook. Uh, if you hear that, you want to share that, that's really cool as well. Anyway, rock on. As always, keep being you, and I'll be back in a couple of weeks from now.